0: Women Taking the Lead, episode 189.
1: I have done a lot of inner work on myself. And I think that you're going to be a much better entrepreneur, business person, coach, whatever you happen to be, if you've done inner work on yourself, as well as knowing your business but you, I think you also need to know yourself. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating
0: blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Your website tells a story about your business. At Zebra Love Web Solutions, Millie and her team are going to make sure your website tells the story you want your customers to hear. Connect with Millie at ZebraLoveWebSolutions.com to create the impression you want to make. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Carol Cox, who is the creator of Speaking Your Brand, which helps purpose-driven women entrepreneurs and leaders shape their business and personal brands, share their message, and become recognized as influencers in their field. She teaches business and marketing classes at a university and during election seasons serves as a democratic political analyst on TV news. Carol believes that as high-performing women, we change the paradigm, the perception of ambition Women by more of us actively and visibly pursuing bigger audacious goals, raising our voices, and sharing our stories about what really matters on stages, in boardrooms, in our businesses, in the media, and in our families, so that others can learn from our journeys, see themselves in ours, and become leaders in their own companies and communities. Carol, you are speaking my language. It is such an honor to have you here today. And that's just like a 10,000-foot version of you and what's going on with your world. So if you could tell us a little bit more about you and your own humble beginnings.
1: Sure, Jody. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm a big fan, so I'm thrilled to be here today chatting with you and with your listeners. So from my humble beginnings, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today's interview, and I started thinking about the activities that I did in high school. So I was very involved, one of those, uh, you know, girls who I was very good academically, and I also like to be involved in different clubs and activities in high school. But I, I started to think about what exactly I would do. So I was in the student body organization. I was in the French club, things like that. But I would always put my name forward to run for secretary. I would never run for president. And I, you know, I started to think about why was that? Well, first of all, there's a lot of traditional gender roles about women being the secretary of an organization versus the men being the president. And I don't think I had the confidence at that point in high school to think that I could be president of the club or of the organization. There are probably a lot of subconscious gender cues going on that I wasn't even aware of. Now, this was late 80s, early 90s. So definitely the the feminist wave had happened in the 70s and 80s. And I was a beneficiary of that. But as we know, even to this day in 2016, 2017, we're still dealing with a lot of that. But what's interesting is that the work I do now with women and helping them shape their message and have the confidence to speak up and to stand out I think goes all the way back to when I was younger. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm giggling a little bit as you're sharing your story, and there's a. I'm also having a visceral
0: reaction because I remember that for a long time in my own life, I would always play supporting roles in whatever mm. I was involved in. I would never be the leader, want to be, you know, kind of quote unquote in charge, making decisions. Luckily, I got to a point in my life where I was like, well, if I want to accomplish my goals. I'm going to have to, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And it's no mistake that I'm a coach too, right? Cause the coach plays a supporting role in a lot of things, but in a lot of areas of my life, I am taking the lead and am in the forefront, but it takes something like it takes a mental shift to get over just wanting to support others to be successful.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point, Jody. And I think as entrepreneurs, so you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, we automatically assume a leadership role because we're in charge of our business. Even if we're solopreneurs and we're the only one in our business, at least for right now, or for the listeners out there who are just starting out, you're still the leader for your clients and your customers and you're making decisions. So that's why I think that for those of us who are entrepreneurs, we're natural, we are naturally leaders and maybe we don't think of ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have made
0: the leap into entrepreneurship and you are out there, you are speaking your brand and, you know, taking the lead. Um, but I always like to, at the beginning of, you know, this interview to kind of level the playing field, because one thing we all have in common is those playing small moments, those moments where we, you know, just don't realize our value and what we're capable of. So we hold ourselves back. And oftentimes it's only later in retrospect that we shake our heads and think, wow, I was I could have been the leader. Like You probably look back on that high school experience thinking, I could have been the president of that club. I could have done that. That's no problem. But at the time, we don't see it. So if you could, Carol, share with us one of your playing small stories and the lessons you've learned from it.
1: Sure, and this this here, this moment and the lesson that I learned has had a profound impact on me. So this happened about 10, 11 years ago. So I was around... 30 in my early 30s around 30 years old and I actually became the chairperson so the leader of the Democratic Party in the county that I live in here in Central Florida. So I wasn't going to settle for secretary, I wanted to be the chairperson. So I definitely had graduated from my mindset from when I was in high school to when I was around 30. So which was good. So I had I had made that shift. So with a lot of backing of the people who were around me in the Democratic Party organization, they supported me running for chair and I won overwhelmingly. So I became chairperson and everyone loved me. I was, you know, very young. I had a tech background. I had founded a software business. And so I had a lot of fresh energy and fresh ideas to bring to local politics, which tended to be behind the times, especially when it became, came of technology to say the least. So we did a lot of things with technology and get out the vote running candidates for office, fundraising, we created and we actually created a TV commercial that we ran on air, which local political organizations don't tend to do. So we did we did a lot, but I but everyone loved me until they didn't. And so about a year and a half, 2 years into my my role as chairperson, I faced a backlash. A very severe backlash and something that was from the people who were closest to me, who I thought were my friends. And that's really what hurt the most. And, you know, looking back now, I think it was some of their own frustrations or misplaced expectations or just their own personal issues that really had nothing to do so much with me. But they were taking it out on me. So it ended up that I decided to finish my term after two years and not continue on. So I basically removed myself from the organization. And honestly, I was I was depressed like it was this was what I wanted to do as part of my career. It was a volunteer position, so it was totally unpaid. And it was a lot of time that I spent, but I loved doing it. I loved being out in the community, helping recruit people to run for office. And it was instead so to have to step down from it was really it was crushing and i probably stayed in hibernation for about 5 or 6 years that's how long it took me to kind of get my confidence back in order to kind of put myself back out there and into the community and you know that seems like a long time and i probably could have done it sooner And here's what I think would have made the difference in the lesson that I learned is to have multiple networks of support. So I had a very tight knit network of support within that organization. But when that kind of fell apart, I had no one else to turn to that I could go to other than my family. So now what I try to do is I have a close network of support here in Orlando, Florida where I live, but I also have a close network of support of women who are online, so women entrepreneurs online, and I have multiple networks of support here in Orlando, some of which overlap, but they are distinct. So that way, for for some reason, something happens in one, it doesn't affect all the rest of them, I still have that that support and those people to go to should something happen again. That's great advice, Carol. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you brought me back to another
0: memory because that, that, you know, not the exact same circumstances, but you know, the, the relying on one circle. Um, to, to meet a lot of your needs in terms of support and, and structure and that, that sort of thing. I had a group of friends that I worked with up here in Maine. And since I spent most of my time at work and outside of work, we were like these friends. We were doing a lot of things together, like road races and training and, and hanging out and all that sort of stuff until two people in the group didn't get along anymore and the mm-hmm. whole
1: group dissolved. Yes.
0: And all of a sudden I was without that structure, that support system anymore. And I, like you was very lost and it took me years. I, I, I can totally see why you're saying, wow, it probably didn't need to last five or six years. But when, when that is like, when you've invested all your time and energy in that one support system, you know, to build up another support system takes time. I love this. And how, and, and you talk about um, how you have it set up where you have different groups. How did you go about that?
1: Mm, Yeah, great question, Jodi. So for here locally in Orlando, so there are a number of really great women's business groups. That I'm a, a member of, and that I go to their monthly meetings or luncheons, and things like that. And so, a lot of the members will overlap from one group to the next, but there are some that don't. So I make sure that I, I join, I pay for the membership, so that they know that I'm committed to them as well. I I show up as often as I can at their meetings and events, and I take a very active role. And so I do that, but not so I, I do that for the business aspect of it, but I also try to have other hobbies or interests groups that Mm -hmm. i'm a part of as well so i like to run so there's runner runners groups that i'm a part of so it doesn't have to necessarily be all business related Mm -hmm. but just just outlets that you have to talk to other people right and to go and then for online the same thing like so i'll have different online communities probably about three that i'm a part of that i try to nurture relationships with the with the people in those groups
0: Mm -hmm. And that's the key. You got to you got to diversify these groups. You got to spend time with each of them and build those relationships. So you do have that strong support system.
1: Yes, absolutely. And really and it was interesting is that my my good friends, women friends here in Orlando, we've all had very similar experiences of being heads of organizations and having had some type of backlash that has happened to us and and kind of getting sabotaged. By the people within the organization, and having to pick ourselves back up, and we all talk about how if it if we need those circles of support in order to be able to do that. Because I think as women, we take a lot of these things really personally, and a lot of times it is personal. And so, like we, we joke that we need a crisis plan. You know, I have corporations have crises crisis plans in case something goes wrong. So it's like, okay, something goes wrong. First step, call so and so. Second step, <laughs> drink a glass of wine. Third step, go <laughs> right <laughs> on. So that- So that you're not, you're not left like crying underneath the covers all by yourself.
0: (laughs) Right. Feeling miserable and what's wrong with me. But you're right. When you get involved in these organizations and you put all this time and energy into it because you care so much, it's hard not to take it personally when you're being rejected by the group, you know, you make it personal and about yourself and not about the issues or, you know, how things are being done. You take it like it's me Personally, right. Because you
1: want, you want people to like you. Mm-hmm. So and I think, and again, I think as women, we want people to like us. And so we think that, oh, well, why, why are these people doing this to me when I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do good things for the organization. But I think for me personally, what happens is that I have a big vision of where I see something can go. And I think some people just aren't on board as going as quickly as I would like to go to achieve that vision. You just you've just described my my life. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> Carol, Now, if you could share with us another time in your life when you had a wake up call for some people, it's like a flashbulb moment for others. It's like a slow awakening or dawning. But there's in either case, there's usually a moment when you're ready to take action. So if you could tell us the story of what led up to that moment and then the steps you
1: took that led to your success. Okay, so I actually was writing uh the other day was writing a blog post and I and it hasn't been published. I'm kind of sitting on it right now because it's a very personal story and I'm not even sure that I wanted to share it in a blog post, but I'll go ahead and share it on the podcast. (laughs) Why not? not? (laughs) Right. Okay. So you mentioned in my introduction that during election season, I'm a political analyst on TV news. So I've been doing that on and off for the past 12 years. And during we just wrapped up uh, a very contentious election season. So I was doing a lot of work for that. So about four or five days after election day here in the U.S., I had an interview with CTV, which is Canada's largest news network. So I guess kind of like their CNN for Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nationwide. So I was doing the interview from my computer, so via Facetime, and I had already had done a couple of, of with them already. So we this was again four or five days after the election. I'm kind of coming out of the shell shock and yeah. uh, and the kind of just the fatigue of all of it. And the the, it was a male news anchor and he was asking me, so what are the next steps for the Democratic Party? What's going to happen? And so I just kind of talked about what I saw. And then he says to me, oh, well, I see, despite the loss and what's going on with the Democratic Party, that you're still smiling. And as soon as he said that, my heart sank because I realized I had betrayed my own emotions for the sake of feminine likability Mm. So I in this and I started so when I was writing this post that I haven't published, I started thinking, OK, so why did I choose to smile when talking about something that really didn't warrant a smile? And there were, there were a few reasons that I thought of. Number one is I've had male friends remark to me that in some of my TV appearances, I seem too serious either because I didn't smile enough. And a lot of women get this right that we seem way too serious or too angry if we don't smile, even though it's a serious topic. And the other reason I didn't smile is because I didn't want to, quote, anger the trolls on social media. So when people kind of tend to be very abusive and mean spirited on social media and I didn't want to have people see my appearance and get and and have them think that I was frigid or angry and then and then have that reaction. And really, I I smiled because I wanted to make sure that I seemed likable and not kind of like an angry feminist coming across. But I realized that, like I said, I portrayed my own emotions for doing that. And that was a huge aha and wake up call for me that I basically I need I, I can't I cannot continue to do that, that I need to honor who I am and not worry about other people thinking that I seem too serious or that I seem angry when it's a serious topic that's being discussed. So but that was was really hard for me to write this. And it's actually really hard for me to even share this because I'm embarrassed by it because I feel like I should know better. I have a master's degree in women's history and gender studies. Like I've been doing this for 20 years and I feel like I should have known better and I didn't. And to be called out by a news anchor by it, it was it was embarrassing.
0: Yeah, this is this is a trigger topic. And I'm sure a lot of people who are are listening, especially the women who are listening, are probably noticing their own breath catching as they listen to this, because, you know, I mean, in each gender has different things that they're critiqued about. You know, Mm -hmm. and for women, it's like being too serious or coming across angry and how you really shouldn't do that. And what do you do? Like there are some times when you do feel serious and you do feel angry, but you're not supposed to express it. And heaven forbid you remind somebody of something that they said they would do. Now you're a nag, you know, and I -hmm. I get I get very sensitive to that stuff, too. And, you know, where do you find that balance? of being yourself, but also um, being able to connect with other people without them critiquing you.
1: I know it's, it really is a double bind. It's really hard. And then so and here's the here's the icing on top of the cake regarding this. So then a week later, so this was just maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was at a leadership event and the keynote speaker was a woman who's a body language expert. So she's talking about what leaders do. And one of the things that she says is that leaders smile less than non-leaders, and I was like, oh wow, I don't, you know, she didn't distinguish whether that was for men or women, even though this was a women's leadership event, so it was all women in the audience. But I found that really fascinating that leader that research has shown that leaders smile less. Huh, that's fascinating. That is fascinating.
0: And where you are, Carol, too, is you're just becoming aware. Right. Of this, too. So this this might even be like a part of the process, you know, when you take on, you know, different levels of leadership, when you're seen more, I think, you know, and I think part of being a leader is also accepting that not everybody's going to like you. Yes. You know, so, you know, coming to grips with that, I think is scary for some people. And I think sometimes and especially for women, they hesitate about being a leader because, you know, because we know if we're in a leadership role, we're not going to make everybody happy. Somebody is going to be, you know, upset or disgruntled or just kind of like turned off by by what's going on. And like we've been talking about the whole time is women where we're we're shaped and we're brought up to be likable to people. Mm -hmm. You know, this this is a struggle and could be a stumbling block and for someone to to reach those higher levels of leadership.
1: Right. And then and yes, it's it's definitely a a learning process and a journey that we're all on. And I feel like that so That each of us is a role model to other women who see us, whether it's young girls in high school and college or young women in our 20s and 30s or even women who are older than us, that for us to, to step up and be leaders and to maybe try to. To, uh, to get rid of some some of these double binds mm-hmm. and, and, and stereotypes that people have, we, we're then paving the way for those that will come behind us. And it's hard. It's really hard to be the ones doing it. Mm-hmm. But the benefits are then, like I said, that you read in my introduction – that I believe that the more that we speak up and stand up, that we're set, we're becoming role models for others to do it, and it makes it easier for them to do it in their own lives as mm-hmm. well.
0: And as women, to support other women who are being serious, right? Yes, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> like allow them. If it's a serious subject, allow them to be serious. Or if it's something they're passionate about, allow them to be passionate about, and and not judge them for it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think that's yes, being the uh, the support for other women. And, and knowing that they, you have their back and them knowing that I think is, is so critical. And the other thing, Jodi, that I wanted to mention is that you talked about how it as leaders that not everyone is going to like us. And I, so this is one of the things that I work with all my clients because we'll work on their messaging, whether it's for their presentation or messaging for their website and marketing. And I encourage them to have an angle. So something that's unique about what they do because What I tell them is that you're not going to stand out unless you have unless you stand for something. And when you stand for something, you're automatically going to repel some people who don't necessarily believe in what you believe or don't like the approach that you're taking. And you have to be willing to be okay with that and to maybe take that criticism Because if you're, if you don't have a powerful message like that, then you're probably not having the impact that you want to have.
0: Right. You won't be able to reach the people that you're trying to serve and help because they won't connect with your message unless you're very clear about it. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. And Carol, I always want to talk about leadership style because I think Mm -hmm. sometimes another pitfall for women is we look at other people like successful leaders and we think I have to be like them in order to be successful, but it's not true. I mean, there are... There's a foundation to leadership, right? You have to have good communication skills, be able to build relationships, be a great listener. But there are subtleties to leadership that make us all a little bit different because we have different personalities and strengths and prior experiences that all influence our leadership style. So, Carol, how would you describe your leadership style?
1: So I am really a very hands-off type of leader. So I enjoy setting the vision. So and working with whomever, whether it's an organization or in my business, working with the key people to set that vision of where we want to go. But then once that's set, I really trust the people that I'm working with that they know the best way to go about enacting. They're part of it. So I let them run with it because I because because they're experts in their area and I want them to to go do the research, to go figure out what part of it that they need to know. Of course, they can come back with questions and things like that, but I really want them to think for it and work it out on their own. I am basically the opposite of a micromanager, I, mm-hmm. I tell people like, I don't want to see your emails that you're sending to other people. I don't care. <laughs> like you, you, you have that. And I know there are some people who are told the opposite where they want to see every single thing that goes out for their business or for their organization, but not me because I have plenty of my own stuff to do. And the last yes. thing I need is that is to be looking at every single thing that you're doing or being right on top of you. So I am definitely very hands off because I trust the people that I work with.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the key when you have that leadership style is to do a great job hiring. So -hmm. that you can be hands off. That's awesome. And Carol, what's one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about and want
1: to share with us? So, in February of 2017, so coming up, I will be doing a relaunch of my online group coaching and mastermind program, which is for women who are interested in speaking engagements and doing podcast interviews, but need help crafting their proposals and pitches. So figuring out, okay, what is their message in their unique angle? What are the topics that they can talk about? What is their bio? Why are they uniquely credible and suited to talk about those topics? So we work through all of those. And I call it a group coaching and mastermind because we do live weekly calls and we have a private group for the participants to go on so that they're getting feedback from me and from each other. Because I do one-on-one coaching with clients, which I love and which is fantastic. But there's something about having a, a small group to get that peer feedback that uh, that adds such an important dimension to the work that you're doing especially when it comes to messaging because it's so you you number one you can't do it in your own head right i mean it's you know you have to be able to articulate it and work it out with someone else either one on one or in a group so i'll be doing that i had launched this the first iteration of it in october of 27 2016 which was kind of like a minimal viable product an mvp version of it and got a lot of great feedback. Everyone loved it. It was only four weeks long, so people told me they wanted it to be longer because mm-hmm. they wanted to be able to interact with everyone and uh, because they really enjoyed it. So I'm making it longer. So that's the thing that I'm that I'm most excited about for the, the coming first quarter. And on the flip side of things, what would you say is your biggest leadership or business mm-hmm. challenge that you're faced with right now? So that would be scaling. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the online program is because I do one-on-one work. But of course, as we know, there's only so many hours in the day and there's so many, only so many hours in the day that you can spend doing one-on-one coaching. So that's really the biggest thing is scaling. And even with the online program, in October last year, I had 10 participants, which was, which was, I loved, which was great, but it was probably a little bit too many for the group calls. So I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do separate sections of it. So maybe six to eight women in each one versus having, having 10 or 12, which seem to be a lot. So scaling is definitely my biggest challenge.
0: Yeah. And that's something like, like you said, you figure out as you go, depending on the program, the material, the participants, Mm -hmm. it it all changes and evolves, but that's the beauty of it. Our business can evolve. Right. Exactly. And Carol, you know, what, some of the feedback I've gotten from the women in my community is, you know, I've guests like you who come on who are doing all these amazing things are on TV, they have programs, they're entrepreneurs. And, you know, we don't often get into like, what's going on in someone's personal life, You're right? We don't really get the peak behind the complete peak behind the curtain. And, and what some of my um, members in my community have said is like, geez, I feel like I'm so far behind, you know, compared to some of the women you're interviewing, but what they're kind of, Assuming is that the women on the show are doing it all on their own, which we know isn't true. So if you could give us a quick overview of the people you have around you who support you to do what you do and be successful at it.
1: Right. This is a great topic, Jody, because I think a lot of us see these entrepreneurs online who are doing really well with their businesses. And they, number one, they're they're further ahead in their business than a lot of us are because they've been doing it for four or five years. And so they've built up enough revenue and profit to be able to hire people. So I don't I don't have any employees in my business. And so but I will use contractors when I need them, say for graphic design and things like that. So but really, my number one support person is my husband. So Mm -hmm. we are both we both have backgrounds in software programming and web development, which we've been doing since the early 2000s. So I can do all my own website and, and all of that and WordPress, which I've been doing for a long time. So the tech side is, is not an issue and my husband being a techie and a gadget person. So he's definitely the one who, who I can tell him here, go make some graphics in Canva for me, or can you help me? And he edits videos. So I give him video interviews that I've done with guests and he will edit them. So he's great. And I don't have to pay him, <laughs> which, <laughs> <Right>. is, <laughs> which is probably the best part of it. So, so that's fantastic. And so, but really other than, say my husband and the contractors, is the mastermind group that I'm a part of. So I try to stay in a, a, and this is a paid mastermind, so I pay to be a part of someone else's mastermind group, because number one, if I'm paying, then I know that I'm invested in the group, and I make sure that I show up every week for the live group calls, and I'm interacting with the other women who are in the mastermind, but just having the, that group to know that you have someone to go to if you have questions who's going to keep you focused and accountable on what you said your goals are for each week. So with I I don't know what I would do without the mastermind groups that I've been a part of.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned mastermind before. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely want to go over this because you've said some really great things too, um, namely that you pay for a mastermind. And people can do masterminds on their own. They're, they can do them free. They can organize them themselves. And and that's fine and good. As But you have to be a certain personality to make that happen. And you have to only gather to your, to your mastermind certain personalities to make that happen. The beauty of paying for a mastermind is not only do you know that you're going to be held accountable, right? That you're more likely to show up, but that the other people mm. in the mastermind are more likely to show up and be present. You, you know, you know, if if the other participants have paid, they're as interested in your success as you are and theirs. So that's huge. And I've done paid mastermind groups before. And as much as people love, me right, they join because of me, but they stay and they rave because of the other members, and that's and that's the reality. I mean, I don't even I, I don't even fool myself because when I ask people like, "What did you get out of this mastermind? What was most valuable to you?" They will always say the the opportunity to interact with other women or men. But in my case, it was an all women's group with other women who are going through the same thing I'm going through.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then you get to meet other women who you normally would never have met. So if you're putting together your own mastermind, I agree, you can definitely do that if that's the best option for you. But you're most likely pulling from your existing network, right? which, which is good. But the great thing about choosing a paid mastermind that fits well with you and where you are in your business is that now you're meeting women from all over the country or all over the world who you normally otherwise would not have been able to meet. Mm-hmm. So there's more diversity so that, mm-hmm.
0: you know, and gives you different mindsets and, and you and people in the group who have tried out different things that you haven't tried out. So that, that is definitely huge. Okay, Carol, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us what is one
1: practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? So I have this phrase that I read in an article and recently, and it was that influence happens at the intersections. And this is what the author meant by that is that when you take a multidisciplinary approach to what you're doing, whether your job, your business, your career, you end up learning things that you that otherwise you wouldn't. So for example, I have a background in technology, yet I'm also very involved in politics. My degrees are in history. So I, and I, and I'm an avid reader, so I will read all different types of things because I think that I then bring a certain uh, level of awareness about topics, a wide range of topics that num- that normally say people wouldn't have. So that's why when I work with my clients, whether they're doing a presentation on related to health and wellness, or they're doing a presentation on business and marketing, or if it's on spiritual practices, whatever it happens to be, because I've basically read books and articles about all of those topics, I can give them insights that if I hadn't had that, that background, then it might, I may be less effective in working with them. Mm-hmm. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? So I love the book Plain Big by Tara Moore, and that's M-O-H-R is her last name. I've read it twice now, and it came out a few years ago. So I highly recommend it. It's called Plain Big. Plain Big. I'm adding it to my list. And what advice would you give your younger self? So I would say that back when I was in my 20s, I should have gone and lived in New York City. Because okay, So I was born and raised in Florida. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia for four years when I was going to graduate school at Emory. But other than that, I've lived in Florida my entire life. And I love Florida. The weather is great. But there's something about the vibrancy and the culture of New York City when I visit that I love. But I don't want to live in a shoebox now that I'm older, right? So back in my 20s when I probably didn't have as that much stuff and then I didn't wouldn't have cared about living in a tiny place, I feel like I should have lived in New York City then. Yeah, I had friends who lived in New York City who tried to lure me
0: there, but I was beyond, I'm, I'm where you are now, I was beyond ever wanting to live in a shoebox or live on an island where I'd have to rent a car to get off of it. I was like, right. no, no, I can't do it. <laughs> Yeah. Carol, share with us a success quote or a mantra and
1: why it has meaning for you. All right. So this is from Carl Jung, who is the, the psychologist, and he talks a lot about shadow work and about archetypes. And, and so it was, it's really interesting because some of the, the work that I do with speaking revolves around Joseph Campbell's research on the hero's journey, which has to do with Carl mm-hmm. Jung. So Carl Jung, though, his quote is, you can't take people further then you've traveled yourself. And I think that's so important because I have done a lot of inner work on myself. And I think that you're going to be a much better entrepreneur, business person, coach, whatever you happen to be, if you've done inner work on yourself, as well as knowing the, your business. But you, I think you also need to know yourself.
0: I love that. I'm a huge fan of Carl Jung. Love his work. So thank you for that. And lastly, Carol, what is the best way for this community to connect with you?
1: Yes, Jody. So I would love to hear from your listeners. So what did they take away most from, from this podcast episode? So I, I'm i on Twitter. I, I've been on Twitter for years, and I call it my first social media love. So my Twitter handle is at Carol Morgan Cox. I also have a Facebook group called Speaking Your Brand so they are welcome to join that, and I have a free gift for your listeners. If they go to my website, speakingyourbrand.com/take-the-lead altogether. So it's speakingyourbrand.com/take-the-lead. They can get that free gift.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for that, Carol. And for those of you who are listening, I'm also in the Speaking Your Brand Facebook group and I'm loving it. I really like the the group in there. And for those of you listening, you know, you can find all the links and resources that Carol shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Carol, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. My pleasure, Jody. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us.